Hebrews chapter 12 in these first three verses. Let's, let's uh, concentrate on these verses and open our hearts to God's word as, as uh, we open this book together. From Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. Well, this morning, we are in the midst of a crisis, and we are invited in the midst of that crisis to fix our eyes on Jesus. Whatever is going on in our lives, whatever is going on outside, we must remember Jesus. It is important we reflect on Jesus. It is important that we fix our eyes on Jesus. And for those of you who have been able to come this morning, thank you, because together that's exactly what we intend to do. You know, over the last few weeks, we have been kind of doing a deep dive into this passage, and we've seen that this life of faith in Christ is a race. And we also have seen that this is not an easy race. If you were with us last week, we discovered that the word race that the author uses is the word agona. It's a Greek word from which we get our word agony. This race that we are on is not necessarily easy at all. In fact, the Bible tells us, and it tells us in many places, that we should not be surprised when difficulty comes. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 4, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. In fact, a little later in this chapter, in chapter 12, the author says that the church has yet not resisted to the point of shedding blood. In other words, what the author is saying to that church that he was writing to is that the church at that point had not yet been under such persecution that they had been called upon to give their lives. Not yet, anyway. In other words, things have been tough, but they might get tougher. The Hebrew writer in verse 7 says, endure hardship as discipline as one uh, from, uh, from a loving father. So it occurs to me in these next few days and weeks and perhaps months, we're going to find out what we're made of. We're going to find out what we believe by our responses, by our attitudes, by how we react toward one another, by our generosity, by our willingness to sacrifice for the good of others. We're going to find out Have we fixed our eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith? Now, I want you to remember, in this race, we've seen it. We have this great cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us, and they're cheering us on. They're pushing us onward. They're saying to us, we've been there. We've gone through this. We went through times when our world fell apart, but God was faithful. God was true, and you can run this race too. 
And then we remember to run this race faster and farther. We remind ourselves that, that we need to run without hindrance and we need to let go of anything that might hinder us so that we can, can, can run swiftly. We've also seen and talked about this, that we run together. We were not meant to run this alone. You know, on Thursday night, our board of elders really wrestled with what we should do this morning. First, we wanted to make sure that our people were safe. We also wanted to make certain that we were going to help mitigate the spread of this virus. But as we talked and prayed, we also began to realize that there were some of our people who in the midst of crisis and all the panic and the fear, some of our people just need to come and worship. And so I wrote what was probably one of the oddest letters I've ever written as a pastor. Essentially, I was inviting people not to come to church. And I've never done that before in all my years of ministry. I was actually praying, Lord, don't fill the church today, you know, because I don't want people to be exposed. Now, as, as you look around this morning, you're going to see that a lot of people have accepted my invitation not to come, and uh, that's okay. For some, in a very paradoxical way, love means not showing up. One pastor posted online that many in his congregation have been practicing for this coronavirus by not coming to church since last summer. Another pastor posted, if you're looking for a church service to attend where you won't come in contact with other humans, you come see us. Now, I want you to know, guys, this is going to be a fluid situation. You probably know this. We're going to have to be gracious and patient. We don't know where this is all going to go. We're going to do our best to try to communicate with you through email and, and, and through uh, keeping our website up to date. But we may not do this perfectly, okay? So I'm asking right now for bucketfuls of grace. And I do want to say uh, that, that we appreciate those who have made the decision and determination to, to join us on Facebook. We, we, we want you to know that you're a part of our family and, and we miss you and we can't wait until we're back uh, together again soon. And I hope that's soon. I do still have the gift card rule, so just, just know that. Now, I, I know that uh, with this pandemic, we have, uh, this is a, a, you know, the pandemic is in regards to this virus. But the other thing I've noted is that this, the, this reality is, is that there is also an epidemic of disappointment. You know, I, I wanted to, to hear the kids' choir this morning. They were scheduled to come, and I know you would have loved to have heard them too. But I determined that I didn't want families to feel pressured to be here if they did not believe it was the right thing for them to do. I know that my son Joshua had plans to go on spring break next week with his tumbling team. I've told you a little bit about that. He has spent hours and hours in preparation where they would go to schools all over the South, schools and churches are doing it as a ministry. They spent hours. In fact, on Thursday night, they were packing their bus, ready to go, getting ready. And then I think it was Friday morning, they got the word, no, it's not going to happen. And I know he was crushed. And, and there are a lot of you, sporting events and athletic events, cruises have been canceled, vacations postponed. There's a lot of just disappointment in this disruption. People are frustrated, and I get it. But this morning, I want us to focus our attention on this phrase, 
This is where we are today. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You know, in the original language, this phrase, fixing our eyes, is actually just one single Greek word. It's a compound word with two distinct ideas. The first part of the word means to see, to look at. So, you know, that makes sense. If we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus, we're going to see him. We're going to look at him. But it's the second part that's rather interesting to me. It means to look, uh, to away from. It's away from. And, and I began to wrestle with that. What does this mean together? And you begin to see it, I'm sure. To look at Jesus clearly, you need to be willing to look away from other things in your life. Now, at this time, especially with chaos and disappointment and frustration, there are a lot of things that we could look at. There are a lot of things that we could pay attention to. But the, the writer of Hebrews is reminding us today that in the midst of chaos and confusion, disappointment and frustration, give him your undivided attention. Look, keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, there have been a few times in my ministry when I've talked with people who are discouraged or disrupted or disappointed, and, and, and when they come in and maybe something is going on in their life that's just, just hard, and we begin to talk, I've heard the Spirit say to me in the midst of that conversation, get their eyes back on Jesus. Get their eyes back on Jesus. Because you remember the story, don't you, when... When Peter got out of the boat and he began to walk on the water. You remember that amazing story? That's a glorious story. But you remember what happened. As he, as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he, he, he experienced that miracle of grace walking on water. But the moment he began to look at the waves and the wind, he began to sink. And that is such a reminder to us this morning, in the midst of chaos and confusion, if we dare take our eyes off Jesus, we will end up somewhere where we are not intended to be. But we are told that we can fix our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter, the pioneer of our faith. Now, what does that mean? Well, fixing our eyes on Jesus, I think, means at least three things. And I want you to think about this with me. Number one, I would say this, fixing our eyes on Jesus means that we fix our eyes on the pattern of Christ's life. You know, Jesus is the ultimate example of how to live. The writer says here that Jesus is the pioneer. He's the perfecter of faith. The NIV takes that word and and, and takes the word pioneer. When I grew up, it was author. And either one is, is a good word. It's the Greek word archegos. It originally meant hero or a founder of a city. Are you with me? So it's someone who begins something, and it's hard to begin it. They've begun something, and then they continue as the leader of it. So the word suggests that it's like a procession of people who are following along. And that's, of course, what we are trying to do as the church. We're trying to follow the pattern of Christ's life. If you want to know what life is supposed to look like, fix your eyes on Jesus. If you want to find joy in your life, fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, let me just kind of flesh this out a little bit. I'll give you one example. We know right now that there's a lot of fear in our community. I still haven't figured out why toilet paper is in short supply. 
some people aren't shaking hands because of the coronavirus. I'm not shaking hands because everyone must be out of toilet paper, and that's a, that's a concern. I don't know. There's something about this virus I still don't understand. I, I haven't figured that out. Listen to this. This is so weird. Our custodians reported to me on Tuesday at our staff meeting that last week all the toilet paper rolls in our restrooms, all the extra ones that are laid out, were taken. They were gone. I couldn't believe that. Really? Now, of course, if we weren't trying to encourage social distancing, I might have you frisked on the way out uh, today. Now, that's a, kind of a silly thing, I suppose, but, but I think about, you know, what, what's going on here? We, you know, trying to find sanitizer wipes and these kinds of things. We've all been there this week. Good luck with that. Here we are in this time of turmoil and a little bit of confusion, and we aren't certain how long it will last or how hard it will hurt. But we've seen the stock market reeling. We've seen schools closed. Right now, our lives have been disrupted. Parents are worried about what to do with their kids during the school day. We know that in some way, at least, this is going to impact the economy. And what's even more concerning is that people are at risk. We know that people have died. And and, and so that concerns us. But let me remind you, in the midst of turmoil, at the very moment... Jesus was discussing his impending trial and his coming and suffering on the cross. In the midst of confusion and chaos, Jesus said this to his disciples. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. My peace. Listen, if you follow Jesus, he wants to give you his peace this morning. So ask yourself, am I living in peace? Is there a settledness that comes because I know him? Because following Jesus gives peace. Now, fixing our eyes on Jesus then means following his example. In the ancient world, truth is, if you got sick and you had no money and you weren't related to a family that cared about you, you were done. You were toast. In the ancient world, they had plagues that would make this coronavirus look like a sniffle. And and I'm being honest there. I I keep hearing people and some pastors talk about this as as if this is God's judgment. My sense is that Christians should be very, very slow to interpret what is and is not the judgment of God. Because the truth is, if not for grace, we would all be perishing. Listen, I don't think people have a good sense of history. You know, in the early 20th century, there was a flu pandemic, and that killed so many people. But if you look back at the history of, of, of Christendom, in 165 AD, there was an epidemic. It may have been smallpox, we don't know, but it, it caused about a third of the population of the Roman Empire to die. A third of the population, one out of every three persons, including the Roman emperor himself, was killed. Then, now that was 165 AD, in 250 AD... The same thing happened. Again, it was probably smallpox, but it wiped out entire cities of the Roman Empire, one out of three in the population. I can't imagine that. 
and nobody cared about anybody else because their gods, their religion, didn't teach that you were supposed to help your neighbor. But there was a a small group who remembered that they followed a man who would touch lepers when they were unclean and heal blind eyes and heal many sick people. And he told his disciples, you go and heal the sick. And so there's an ancient writing by Bishop Dionysius in 250 AD about what happened during those plagues. This is what he wrote. He said, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Once there was this little community of people, they didn't have much power, they didn't have much influence at all, but they remembered the one who spoke these words. He said, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a stranger, you came to visit me. When I was sick, you were there to help me. When you did it unto the least of my brethren, you did it to me. That's what they heard him say, and they said, that changes the way we live. So the followers of Jesus began to see people differently. They said, that's not just a sick person. That's a person that God loves. And because God loves them, if we love God, we've got to love them too. That means we go to an extraordinary, extraordinary work to help them. I remember the story of Damien. He eventually became known as Father Damien. He was a priest. He created a place where, where lepers would be loved and cared for. Even though the world had forgotten them, he cared because Jesus cared. And he used to get up on Sunday morning, and every Sunday he preached the same message. God loves you lepers. Every Sunday, God loves you lepers. Until one Sunday he got up and he preached, God loves us lepers. And he died giving his life away. That's why during a crisis in our country, we need not only wash hands, we need to be willing to wash feet. We, we need to serve. And the reason we do that is because we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. We can't help it. It's what we do. We see him. He's the pioneer. He's the perfecter of faith. Are you with me? So we have this pattern of Jesus' life, but we also have something else. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, we know that we have the presence of Christ in our life. Thank you, Lord. When we fix our eyes on him, we are reminded we're not alone, that he's with me. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be right there. I'm right there in your midst now. And so in his presence, we we know that we experience his presence in several tangible ways. One of the ways is, is that we know that he is there in God's word. One of the, the ways we know God's or Christ's presence is through God's word. You realize that, that Jesus is the embodiment of God's word. He is the fulfillment of the law. 
When we study the word then, we are fixing our eyes on him. John 1 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Hebrews 4.12 we read, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So friends, when we are studying God's word, we are fixing our eyes on Jesus. There may be some of us who, who aren't doing as much. We may be isolated. We may be in our homes. Take this time to get alone with Jesus. Study his word. But more than that, we also have the presence of Christ in his church. We are the body of Christ collectively. That's why it was so difficult for us not to decide to come together. We collectively represent the person of Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 that we all have different roles within this body. If one part suffers, then we all suffer. If one part rejoices, then we all rejoice. Listen, as we go through this over the next few weeks, I don't know if we'll be able to come together. I don't know. But I do know this, that the church is still in full force. The church is still called to be compassionate. The church is still called to be the the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the representation to the world of his presence. Because he's made a difference in me and he's made a difference in you. But let's not forget then, even more than his word, even more than the church, we have the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews 10, 12, we are reminded that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. In Romans 8, I love this verse, these verses, Paul says, But if Christ is in you, that even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. You know what that means? That even in times of turmoil, even in times when we don't see very far ahead, we have a pioneer who knows what's ahead of us. He lives within us. He will help us. And the one who loves us most is closest to us. He's right there. We can know the presence of Christ right now because our eyes are fixed on Jesus. So fixing our eyes on Jesus means that that we fix our eyes on the pattern of Christ's life. It means we know that we have the presence of Christ in our life. But thirdly, I think it means that fixing our eyes on Jesus means we find the purpose of Christ for our lives. Remember, he's the author and perfecter. He is the pioneer. He finishes our lives perfectly. That means that whatever you're going to face, God will accomplish his work in you. We know that to be true. He who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works together for good to them that love him and have been called according to his purpose. So my prayer is this, even as we experience this in our nation, this turmoil in our world, that even this can result in good. I believe that God can turn something like this into something good and and beautiful. Lord, may you use your church to bring yourself glory. You know, one of the things that has become very clear to me in times of crisis is that when we experience crisis, that is often when people seek God. 
Have you noticed that? When, when things start going wrong, they wake up. They realize the things that they were trusting in, their job, their bank account, their, their government, those things didn't work out. They wake up to the reality that their life is fragile and they're not promised tomorrow. And so they begin to wake up and they begin to ask questions and they begin to wonder about a relationship with God. God can use this as a point of revival in our nation. He may just do exactly that. Lord, teach us to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. And so I believe with all my heart, he has a purpose for what is going on right now. May I say one more thing? I know you're tired. I couldn't help but remember, as I was thinking about this week, and especially this passage, the story in the book of Numbers. There's a story in the book of Numbers where the people of God are wandering in the wilderness, and they're rebellious. They are so rebellious. And God, again, has just had enough. And so he sends a plague. And you, if you know your Bible, you'll know it was a plague of fiery serpents. Serpents in the camp. And the, the reason they were called fiery serpents was because their bite was so intense that it caused an intense and deadly fever. Many of the people were dying But there was nothing the people could do. They were coming in. There was no antidote. There was no cure that they could come up with. But the people cried out for mercy. May our nation cry out for mercy this day. God heard their prayers. And if you know the story, you remember what he did. He instructed Moses... To to make a brass serpent, put it on a pole, and hold it up in the middle of the camp. And you remember what happened. Those who looked at the serpent were healed. Those who looked at that serpent on the pole were healed. And then I remember this. Jesus once said in John chapter 3... And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes may have in him eternal life. This morning, as we talk about this pandemic and trying to contain it, I want to remind you that there is ultimately only one healer. And I invite you once again, my friends, to fix your eyes on him. He was lifted up for you on the cross. And anyone who in faith looks to him, they experience life eternal. He was lifted up on the cross. The truth is we have all been infected with the virus of sin. And the only way, the only way to find healing and wholeness is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. 
There's light for a look at the Savior, a life that's abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's pray. Father, as our eyes are closed, as we contemplate what we've heard, will you give us a new vision of our Savior? And may we in these moments choose to fix our eyes on you. Thank you, Lord, when all the world around us is in turmoil. In you we find peace. In you we find hope and life eternal. So, Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we pray that, Lord, in the days ahead, that you would show us the way. Lord, we need a a leader who pioneers for us in, in areas, Lord, that we're not familiar with. Lead the way. Lead your church. Help us, Father, to know what to do, to bring your name glory. Lord, we pray that this might be a church, the church's finest hour that your glory will be revealed and that we, your people, will be found faithful. And Lord, we ask, oh sweet Jesus, that on this day that has been declared a national day of prayer, that there might be a new sense of repentance and grace longed for, that you would, Lord, accept the prayers and pleadings of your people, that we might continue to fix our eyes on you because you promised in your word if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land Lord we claim that promise today even as we fix our eyes on you We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.